And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. He's the Director of Frontline Fellowship in South Africa. Peter, it's an honor once again to talk with you. Thank you, Dan. Good to be back with you on Redeemer Broadcasting. This morning I looked at my email, and I still haven't made it through all the emails, and an important one had come across from Frontline Fellowship with the title, What Can We Learn from the St. James Massacre? And uh, in our country, Peter, something like this doesn't really happen, or not too often anyway, but uh, I wanted, for the sake of our listeners, to to review this terrible massacre that happened um, there back in, what was it, 1993. Maybe you can tell our listeners what happened at the St. James Massacre. 27 years ago, yes, Dan, it was about 7.30 p.m., Sunday the 25th of July, 1993, a congregation of about 1,400 in St. James Church of England, which is uh, the largest evangelical church in Cape Town at the time, and uh, they were listening to a hymn of worship when a group of Upla, that's uh, a Zanian People's Liberation Army terrorists, burst into the church they kicked open the double doors that were just to the side of the front of the church and facing the congregation, three men, uh, one opened up with automatic machine gun fire directly into the packed congregation oh. and uh, the other two threw hand grenades. And these weren't just normal hand grenades. They had strapped nails around each one for extra fragmentation. And uh, the, the, the people, you can imagine, they they are in a church service, in a worship service, and they're listening to a worship song uh, being uh, performed from the front of the church. The the congregation was seated, and uh, in come these hand grenades, uh, and they landed, one landed literally in the lap of uh, a a Ukrainian uh, sailor uh, who actually survived incredibly, although he lost both his legs and he Mm. lost his his arm from it. Um, And another one of these uh, actually landed right in the middle uh, of uh, the aisle. And Jared Harker, uh, a 21-year-old man, immediately leapt on top of the hand grenade and absorbed the full impact of the grenade oh, in his body to save the lives of the people on both sides of the aisle. You can imagine how much uh, loss of life there would have been had it not been for his quick thinking. Well, um, for many years... Uh, our mission's taken the gospel to the war zones, but you know, on Sunday, the 25th of July, uh, the war came to us because our mission headquarters, Frontline Fellowship's headquarters, was on the same road as St. James, oh just my. a few meters, barely one block away on the same road. And several of our missionaries were members. Uh, <laughs> one of my deputy directors was actually in attendance, and uh, my father had been converted at St. James. My brother was converted at St. James. Not that they were there at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I'd just been singing with my daughter, Andrea, and was about to pray with her, putting her to bed when the phone rang. It's the worst nightmare, Peter. St. James has been attacked by terrorists. And I just sped to the church, uh, at, just left everything behind and, and ran uh, down the road uh, as the rain was pouring down. Just, yeah, very vivid, very shocking experience this is um this is very important to me because um this is a real world story this is what people christians fellow christians actually had to go through 
having their church doors busted open, men with automatic weapons just firing um, indiscriminately at the parishioners, trying to kill as many of them as possible. And uh, sometimes I get the feeling that Christians in America are sticking their heads in the sand. They're not aware of the threats uh, upon their very persons, upon their churches, upon their families and their neighborhoods, when anarchists, like we now have in America, are destroying things and destroying people. You know, Dan, that, that's so true, because people who are destroying monuments and showing lack of respect for lives and property in the streets and who are trying to destroy and pull down historic monuments, you can be sure that they'll soon tire of destroying monuments and start going for destroying people. You bet. And uh, uh, people who burn books uh, will soon end up burning people too. And uh, we've seen it. And, of course, revolutions begin with pulling down monuments, but they don't end with pulling down monuments. And uh, so you can just imagine, for me, I've been a missionary for most of my adult life to Mm -hmm. persecute churches. So as I ran to that to the church, which I'd been to many times. I wasn't a member of that church, but I was a regular guest. I've been a guest speaker there. And uh, uh, you can imagine my mind's just filled with other stories of um, of churches being attacked in Mozambique and Angola. But those were communist countries. I mean, this wasn't meant to happen in our country. There we're you a go. Western That's country, right. Christian country. In our neighborhood. Uh, you know, the, this this was the furthest thing from mind. We'd never have imagined this being possible in our wildest dreams. And uh, rain was coming, and uh, there was just this roar of sirens. And you can imagine hearing convoys of ambulances and police vehicles and fire engines coming uh, towards 3rd Avenue, Kenilworth. And uh, so, you know, I, I didn't even try to drive near the church. I just ran. Mm. And uh, um, and I was soaked when I came to the church. And the first <laughs> thing was the tiles in the foyer smeared with blood. I mean, that's shocking, just for starters. Oh, yeah. And the next thing was bodies lying on the carpets and one which was obviously jared harker in a massive pool of blood on all sides all around him mm. and uh, i and i nobody had to tell me i i knew that had to be a grenade and yes. uh, a big hole in the carpet and upturned pews prayer books music sheets welcome cards bibles strewn across the pools of blood um looking up there was pockmarked uh, holes in the ceiling from the shrapnel and uh, uh, people are crying, people praying. <laughs> it's quite a scene. Yeah, it was. Now you, um, Absolutely as, shocking. as you rushed to the church, you mentioned the storm, and I wanted to read a sentence from that paragraph. It says, As if in sympathy with the storm in many hearts, Lightning flashed across the sky. The heavens wept in a blinding downpour of torrential rain. Above the roar of the rain, the air was filled with wailing sirens that you mentioned from convoys of ambulances, police vehicles, fire engines as they converged upon 3rd Avenue, Kenilworth. This is a this is a terrible scene, and you saw firsthand right after these um, these killers uh, wiped out so many people. Yes, there, there were uh, 11 people died uh, in, mm. in that attack and uh, a lot more. 
mm-hmm. except for the fact that one of our missionaries was there and he responded very promptly. But uh, the first person there was Marika Ackerman. And like my wife, she had battled cancer a lot. Uh, she had triumphed over cancer twice. Uh, she, in fact, had an outreach to Russian seamen. Now, remember, this is 1993. We're still <laughs> involved in a war, and the Russians have been the yes. primary trainers and armors of the very terrorists being attacking us. In fact, the weapons they were using to attack us, in many cases, being supplied by the Soviets. And so here were these Russian and Ukrainian sailors all around her that she had brought to church. I think she had brought 40 or 50 to church that oh night. And she's the first, she's in the front pew, and she's the first to die. Shot her um, uh, straight out, point blank. Oh. And uh, she is actually buried on her birthday. Oh, my. Oh, my. Uh, there was Mr. Lorenzo Smith, who actually I saw him praying. I didn't know he had just lost his wife, Merkel, who died in his arms a few moments before. Mm. Um, but he is holding hands with two people who are praying with him. Peter Gordon was wounded in the attack, but his wife, Denise, murdered right next to him. And uh, they had a little daughter, Sarah, as well. Oh. 17-year-old Richard O'Kill. Richard O'Kill, just 17 years old. As they opened fire, he pushed one of the girls, Lisa, down, and he tried to pull Bonnie down, and she she was not responding. And he, he literally fell across her to take the line of fire, and he took a bullet straight through the head. Mm. These are amazing sacrifices um, of innocent people, and that that injustice just—I'll be honest—it it infuriates me. Yeah, well, uh, all of us were so shaken by this because we've served the persecuted church for years since 1982. I've been going across the border helping persecuted churches, and I've seen a lot, and I've wept with many people in the field. But you know, nothing hit us home harder than us because this is our neighborhood that's right that is right our neighbors that's right um now you mentioned i may be jumping ahead in the account but you mentioned one of the missionaries that you knew and worked with um did something that saved many lives even though this is a terrible tragedy um somebody stood up they, they basically said, no, this isn't going to go any further. Can you tell us more about that part of the story? Yes. My very good friend, my second-in-command, my deputy director at the time, Shaul van Veik, uh, he was a young man who had, like me, done his national service in the Army. He had been officer in infantry school, and he had a little snub-nosed thirty-eight revolver in his <laughs> um, ankle holster. Now, bear in mind, we're dealing with Libyan-trained terrorists with automatic assault rifles and grenades. There's five of them in the attack team, and uh, Charles got a little snub-nosed five-round uh, revolver. It's nothing not by comparison. It's not much. It's a little thirty-eight special, so it's, it's snub-nosed. He's 50 meters, 50 yards back the attacks taking place, because it's a big church. It's a huge church. He's in virtually the back row, second from the last row in, in the church, and instantly, when it started, Charles assumed this was some kind of skit played by the youth group. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, But then, as he saw splinters of the pews going up and a piece of someone's skull with hair attached flying past him, he instantly knew, no, this, this, this is This the is real the real thing. deal, and, yes. And he dropped to his knee, pulled out his revolver from his ankle holster, steadied his 
uh, on, on the pew and uh, aimed, because of course his biggest concern was not to hit anyone across fire. So he, knew he had to go down. He had to be balanced on the pew in front so that there's no danger of the bullet accidentally going below. And he has both ways. And this is such, this is a 50 yard shot mm. with a snub nose 38. <laughs> and he shot and he hit, he shot two shots and he hit the terrorist in the hand. Wow. Um, not that he's aiming at the hand, he's at, aiming at the center of the body mass. Sure, he's lucky to hit anything. The main terrorist to his, uh, Kyan McCormick, who was standing, spraying uh, the congregation with this automatic assault rifle, prop, spraying from his hip, he gets shot in the hand and instantly withdraws. And all the terrorists withdraw and they flee to now, the car. that's the so fascinating one, part of the story. man, in fact, we asked about how long was this. And, uh, you know, while it seemed like in 20, it worked out that basically he had shot back in about six seconds. But in wow. those six seconds that it took to realize what's going on and react, already 11 people had died and 55 were injured. Wow. Now, imagine if they had to shoot back. Exactly. And now, Shaul, uh, with, with his missionary and military background, he knew you don't follow them out the front door where they are. He took a side door, a sort of fire escape exit behind, and he went around the building, and as he came around the corner, he could see there were the terrorists at the car. The cars pointed towards the driveway, away from them, but there they are with their weapons aimed at the main door that they'd come through, obviously expecting whoever had shot them to come through that door or oh, anyone yes. else to clear. They were ready to gun down whoever came through that main That's door. That's right. But Charles had come around the side of the building, and he, he knelt down again and uh, resting uh, his elbow uh, on his knee, uh, aimed again two hands, because it was another long shot, easily 50 meters again. And uh, he fired again at the car, shot his last three rounds of his little oh. eight, and they fled, leaving some bloodstains on the scene. And in fact, without those bloodstains, the police would never have been able to identify DNA and uh, and ah, uh, get right. on these terrorists. So uh, the, the police uh, commissioner of the whole province, our, our Cape, uh, Western Cape, uh, presented an award to Charles later, saying that on the 25th of July, 1993, Charles van Veek endangered his own life in warding off an attack perpetrated on St. James Congregation, Kenilworth. His action in pursuing the suspects on foot and returning fire prevented further loss of life, and one of the suspects was wounded in an incident and was later arrested. And uh, in fact, they arrested all of them uh, in the ensuing weeks, uh, but at that stage, they'd, they'd caught one. So, uh, in fact, it's even more incredible than what I've just told you, because when the case came out, and we're very good friends with the uh, police colonel who's in charge of intelligence, who did the investigation, one of the key people in the investigation of St. James, whose book we recently helped to publish just last year, Undefined South Africa, where he says how they caught them, and it's intriguing to learn that the terrorist planned to hit two churches that night. Mm. St. James was the first church, and they weren't just going to machine gun the congregation through hand grenades. There were four of them in the attack squad, one who was the uh, driver, the escape driver. They each had assault rifles. They each had multiple magazines, four to five magazines each with 35 rounds or more mm -hmm. each. They each had four grenades or more, uh, and they planned to throw... Uh, um, many of those grenades, little bombs, and they planned to bar the doors wow. and set the church on fire. And you can imagine how, in a, in a confined place of 1,400 people, how many people they may have killed. And then they were going to go drive down the road. Less than a mile away was Christchurch Kenilworth, oh. which is another very big, very popular church. 
and we're going to attack them as well. But because they encountered unexpected resistance, one man with a 38 revolver, yeah. mind you, at St. James, and because one of the people had, had suffered a, a hand wound, they abandoned their second attack and they fled. So Charles didn't just save one congregation. He actually saved two. It's true. It's true. Now, what what did these terrorists aim to accomplish by their terrorism? Mm. Mm. Well, in fact, this may sound absolutely amazing. We know exactly what they're thinking because uh, after testifying in court and helping to get these people apprehended and, and, and put away uh, through the courts, uh, Shaw went further uh, and visited their family, visited these terrorists in prison. Wow. <laughs> um, and, and they told him. They told him. They straight. told fact, him. He even managed to speak to the commander, uh, um, uh, Letlapa, who had actually been the commander who had ordered them to do this, uh, and who's visited our mission and spoken at one of our devotions, no less. And uh, uh, that their goal was terrorism. We wanted to instill fear in the hearts of the people, to paralyze the people into inactivity and non-resistance. Ah. We wanted to induce people to flee the country or at least be too afraid to fight back and provoke some kind of reaction. They wanted to provoke some counterterrorism, which could then be exploited for propaganda purposes. Yes. And they specifically chose uh, an English suburb because in the southern suburbs in Cape Town, it's known as a very liberal uh, mostly English-speaking, sure. uh, they thought they didn't choose some tough conservative Afrikaans community. They chose a liberal English community, assuming, and the, the commander said to us straight, we didn't know there'd be anyone armed there. We didn't think there'd be any resistance. If we, did, if we thought there'd be resistance, we wouldn't have chosen that as an attack. They thought they were attacking a soft target of defenseless people. They never dreamed there would be anyone there who would actually be armed, ready, and shoot back. That is and fascinating. So, uh, they, they told us, they, they said, our aim was to provoke counterterrorism. We wanted somebody to, some kind of, you know, go and attack a black community, for example, or something mm, like that, mm. which, of course, Christians don't do. But, no. but their aim was to instill fear and terror and, of course, uh, that people would be afraid to gather in church. Well, they yes. failed in every point because the very next Wednesday, this attack on, uh, took place on Sunday, the next Wednesday, the church was packed to overflowing Praise for the a Lord. Wednesday midweek service, which which just showed, and I was there too, and the, the whole community rallied around. There was this intention, we will not let you intimidate us Praise or make Lord. us no longer in church. This is the highest priority we've got is to worship God. That's right. So the aim of persecution is not to kill Christians, actually, because Sending believers to meet the Lord in heaven hardly achieves the purposes of evil. Yeah. No, the aim of persecution is to shock Christians into fear and into inactivity, mm. to paralyze and neutralize the church. And only if one gives in to this fear and allows ourselves to be intimidated into silence and to compromise and to fail to evade, only then would the enemy achieve his objective. So it's so important. I, I believe uh, a lifetime of serving the persecuted church and experiences like this um, has encouraged me that we must never betray the faith for which the martyrs died. And the only appropriate response to massacres and attacks like these is for us to be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful to his word. And we dare not allow the fear of man to divert us from fulfilling the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbors ourselves, and we're to make disciples of all nations, teaching obedience to all things that the Lord has come on. That's the priority. 
Amen. And what I find so fascinating and helpful, too, is uh, you're not just guessing about what these terrorists had in their minds, but you guys went and visited them in prison, talked with them. You, you actually were able to understand what was going through their heads and what they were hoping to accomplish, and this is what you learned. That's what's valuable here as well. Yes, I must say, having spoken to so many uh, Marxists and terrorists over the years, uh, I remember one time in uh, Angola, I was with a group of people, I think about eight people who'd been in a communist concentration camp. They'd all been communists, they'd all been terrorists, and it all ended up in a purge in a concentration camp, and they'd been tortured. And uh, one of them was telling me, now all eight are sitting around there, uh, around the meal table, nodding in agreement. And this one said, at one time, I just said to these Cubans who were torturing us, why don't you just kill us and get it over with? Yes. Oh, no. No. We don't want to send you to heaven to meet God. Mm. No. We want you to curse Christ and come to hell with us for all eternity. Yes. Yes. That's that's so sadly and yet very sadly interesting. Um, we've got maybe a couple minutes left. Today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond the director of Frontline Fellowship, and he's been explaining to us what happened at the St. James Massacre back in 1993, which was just down the road from where he is. And um, help us now to have uh, hope going forward, Peter. I think we've got a lot of people afraid who don't know what to do. Is it wrong to defend yourself even? Any wrap-up comments? Oh, no, there's no doubt. We should be armed. We should be prepared. We need to defend ourselves because, uh, as the uh, Lord says in his word, that we must fight for our families, our wives, our children, our daughters, and our homes. And uh, do not fear, man. Uh, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, uh, quoting now from Nehemiah 4.14, and uh, the world is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through. That's right. Uh, but we, we must believe in the day of judgment, because evil will not all be punished in this world, but the fact is there's a holy God in heaven, and there will be justice in heaven, either grace through his mercy or justice, but it will be done. And life is uncertain. We don't know how long we will live. Apathy is dangerous. We need to be jolted to re-examine ourselves, and uh, events like this can help us do that. You know, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Um, uh, if God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you answer? We mustn't be ruled by fear. We must fear God alone, and uh, we, we need to remember God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. And uh, I, I'm uh, encouraged by this. Uh, of course, I've spent a lifetime thinking about these things and serving persecuted churches. So I've written a book on security and survival handbook where I've drawn, amongst other case studies, from the St. James Massacre and from Switzerland and from a home invasion my brother dealt with, and practically what do we do to defend ourselves and make our churches more safe and uh, we've published the book Shooting Back, which is the story of Charles van Veyck, who was the one who shot back at the church and his way of dealing with it, both before and after this. We had him as a guest at our Reformation Society, telling us about the whole police investigation into the same James Mask and how they arrested the terrorist responsible. Mm. And so people can actually get that video of his presentation at the Reformation Society as well and his book Undefined South Africa. And uh, uh, on 
all of these different issues. Um, I've put together a whole video PowerPoint presentation on the St. James Massacre as well. That if people go to our frontline mission, sa.org website, they'd be able to see that. And I've got the pictures of the people and the pictures of the places and of the bloodstained Bible and all these other things um, as sensitively as I can. But I've, I've put together yes. the visuals of it too, either as a PowerPoint or video. So if people go to frontline mission, sa.org, they can actually see and hear from um, Colonel uh, Skulk Vaskarki and Schalfen Bake, who shot back and mentioned here and, and a lot more too. Well, this has been a fascinating uh, chat with you, Dr. Peter Hammond, today. And um, just uh, remind us one more time, if someone wants to get a book or a video, what is the website slowly so we can mark it down? So it's www.frontlinemissionsa.org. So SA for South Africa. So frontlinemissionsa.org. And our email mission at frontline.org.za or ca so um the website frontline mission one word sa frontline mission sa.org okay that's simple enough dr peter hammond my brother thank you so much uh, this was a very short notice on you that we wanted to do an interview and you agreed to it right away thank you so very much for taking your precious time with our listeners today it's a great joy and pleasure, and may uh, God grant that we don't have to face anything like this, but if it does, uh, may we be prepared mentally, emotionally, and practically, and may God make us fast and accurate. Amen. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 